it's time for All Hands on Tech. Climb on board as hosts Amina and Isaac explore all the amazing things happening in Nova Scotia's tech sector. Each episode, we will chat with local experts to uncover the secrets of what makes Nova Scotia the best place for collaboration, innovation, and creativity. All Hands on Tech is proudly produced by Digital Nova Scotia, the industry association for Nova Scotia's growing tech sector. With 13,000 kilometers of coastline and a rich ocean biodiversity, it's clear why Nova Scotia has been nicknamed Canada's ocean playground. The ocean tech sector in our province is booming, and joining us today to share her experiences and insights is Jennifer LaPlante, Executive Director of DeepSense and Shiftkey Labs. We're thrilled to have you here. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. Maybe let's give you a quick quick second just to introduce yourself and maybe uh, what DeepSense is. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So DeepSense is a program based out of Dalhousie University, and we are designed to help ocean sector companies understand and adopt artificial intelligence and machine learning. And the biggest thing that we want to see is really a huge growth of the economic drive in the ocean sector using data and making us really competitive globally. Super cool. Very cool. And what a better, not a better spot to have it is Halifax. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you guys have any like hub offices anywhere else in the world? Are you guys just based here in Halifax? We have a physical location here. We have team members that are spread out and we worked with students all around. Um, But we do have a physical office space in Halifax. Awesome. All right. So... I'm going to stare at Jenna a bit here. Uh, So we're going to kick things off with some super quick rapid fire questions. Uh, These are just to get us all feeling comfortable. And uh, Jenna, you want to kick things off? Yeah. So first question, fiction or nonfiction books? (laughs) Oh, I think I'm going to have to go with fiction. Sorry. No, a long fiction. (laughs) No, it's a mixture of both. It depends on the day. If it's nighttime, it can be fiction. And if it's daytime and travel and other things, it's nonfiction. That's fair. I can relate to that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you want to get those like creative juices going with the fiction at night, and then during the day, it's business. Or, or you just need like yeah. something easy at night. I think like that shut what the it brain is. off. Yeah, that's kind of nice my and vibe. simple. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, makes sense. So next one here is favorite way to relax after a long day of work. Oh, um, that's a really good question. Honestly, it's really sad. My favorite way to relax is rewatching one of the handful of shows that I enjoy, which include things like The Office, Arrested Development, Veep, yes. um, 30 Rock, and I know them and I know them by heart and I don't have to really pay attention. So I really just, that's a good way to relax. Which one are you watching right now? I am rewatching Arrested Development right now. That's great. I find Arrested Development, I love it, but so many people don't talk about it anymore. I know. Which is so sad. Like everyone, there's so much hype for The Office, but Arrested Development is so good. Mm-hmm. It's intelligent. Yeah. It is. I think a lot of people never saw it in the first place. Like, no, I don't I think so. I grew up in the middle of nowhere with only CBC and Arrested Development played at like 7 p.m. or something every day. So like I watched Arrested Development as like a 12 year old maybe and like didn't really appreciate it. But now I feel like I should go back and try it again. Because you're right, it is. It's very intelligent. It is. Um, and the, the third question here is, What's the best thing about your team at DeepSense? One of the best things, I guess I should say. One of the best things about the team at DeepSense, I think the one amazing thing is we have some incredible team members who um, handle our projects and communication. But one of the amazing things is the people who work on a lot of our projects are students. And we're constantly seeing new students come in. They have no exposure to the ocean sector. A lot are new to Canada. 
a lot are new to artificial intelligence. And so the growth that we see in the team members and the people who work with us is just exponential. They're super exciting and engaged and really trying to grow people's attention is awesome. Like having them realize there's a whole new world out there they didn't know about is really great. Very yeah. cool. What kind of backgrounds are these students coming from? Like, are they all in ocean tech? ocean tech <laughs> they're all in usually computer science and sometimes engineering sometimes they might be coming from a business or a science background but most have never heard of the ocean or considered it as an idea of something to pursue that's cool really yeah. really interesting so and you said a, a good majority of them are international students correct yeah and they come kind of to Nova Scotia without that. I just find it interesting because I, th- I find like so many folks come to Nova Scotia because they're like, yeah, ocean. Like there's so much ocean tech here. Like we have like Cove, like we have Dalhousie um, with so many different initiatives coming out for ocean tech. So I find that so cool. Yeah, it's all computer science. I think the a huge chunk of especially masters and PhD level, those graduate students come from other parts of the world and they're coming for great experiences in education. But a lot of the times they're coming from countries that either are nowhere near the ocean or maybe mm. don't have the same emphasis and focus we do. That's a good point. Yeah. That's very interesting. I would have never thought that that was kind of where that connection was coming mm. from. That's very cool. Yeah. So really great segue actually into our first kind of more formal question here but uh tell us very big question so tell us about the ocean sector here in nova scotia what excites you the most about working within ocean technology and data one of the biggest things that we see in the ocean sector is there's been massive growth especially in the past five years where we have cove the center for ocean ventures was created and really got going and stood up in the past five years you have this hub that's designed purely for new development creation of new companies or new products and it's all about collaboration the addition of the federal program of the ocean supercluster the ocean startup project Um, we just have all of these organizations including the ocean frontier institute at dalhousie which is a multidisciplinary academic program as well that there's just this massive focus and the incredible thing is people talk to each other they work together they are engaged and we have such a solid reputation globally across all of these different groups that we're seen as real leaders and so I think you know the ongoing effort and awareness of those outside the ocean sector realizing how well regarded we are and how much potential we are here have here locally is just it's incredible and every day somebody new will learn a little bit more and say oh, I had no idea this existed here in Halifax this is fantastic yeah and I just, I got a pure curiosity kind of with your experience. Do you think there's something that Nova Scotia is doing differently to market itself compared to like British Columbia and places like that to help attract those types of talent and I'll call them ventures or initiatives? I don't know necessarily if it's the way we're marketing. I think it's the way we operate. And okay. one thing that I constantly hear is people are friendly. And Mm. I am not from Nova Scotia originally. I moved here. And I think there is inherently something about the personality of people. And when they move here, they adopt that personality of being really welcoming and supportive. And I don't think that that exists in other locations where people are going out of their way to help you, proactively help you. And even, you know, people who have a company and they have a competitor, they'll still be really friendly with them, have conversations with them, go on panel discussions, work Mm -hmm. on collaboration projects. So I find there's a real drive to help each other so that we're all successful. It's not really a competitive spirit. That's really cool. That kind of speaks to a little bit unrelated, but that kind of speaks to not only Nova Scotia, but like human nature. Like you said that when people come here, they adapt to the kinder way of being and kind of that Nova Scotia spirit. It's a really nice way to kind of 
think of why people come here and why they want to stay here. Absolutely. And I think, you know, going back to the students that we see and immigration is so important to us as a province and just Canada in general, but our region here. And, you know, I think making people feel at home and welcomed is really important because we want to be very successful. We need to thrive as a province. And the only way we're going to do that is by encouraging more people to move here and stay here. Absolutely. And if we're creating such a friendly, welcoming environment for people and also with gorgeous oceans and easy access to oceans heck why not you know it's it's kind of a easy easy sell mm-hmm. yeah and we'll only benefit by attracting that diversity yeah, yeah. um so next question how is deep sense trying to make a smarter ocean economy and what does a smart ocean economy look like the way we're trying to help the smarter ocean economy is really first education Artificial intelligence isn't exactly new, but a lot of organizations simply just haven't pursued it. And that's due to, you know, maybe they don't have the, haven't had historically the data or the capacity internally to go and create some kind of really interesting um, solution that might optimize our business or make it faster or better or more efficient. And so we're really trying to first educate and then enable companies. So, you know, you might have a company that has 50 employees. They don't necessarily have the skill set internally to try to build out an AI. So that's where we come in and we bring in students and it's kind of trying to say, let's take that R&D off your side of the desk. Let's put a student or a couple or a handful and some of our knowledge and our skills to work to help you figure out, is this even worth you pursuing? Could you create something? And if a company can create something that maybe differentiates themselves as a new product or service, they could eventually sell and generate new revenue or make themselves a little bit faster or better. This is a huge win. And it goes really conversation by conversation. I've had conversations with people all across the world, essentially, regardless of sector and trying to grow digital adoption, as I'm sure you see regularly. It's a challenge no matter where people are. So it's just conversation by conversation that fits within their company. And then when it comes to ocean sector, I think the biggest thing is we're looking at a handful of really important pieces. One is renewable energy. Um, Renewable energy is huge for us. We look at tidal, we look at offshore wind, um, retirement eventually of oil and gas that's offshore. All of these really require massive pieces of information so that regulators and governments can make decisions so that things can operate efficiently and effectively. We're also really concerned about things like resources. You know, finding someone to work on a certain job that might have higher risk or be less attractive becomes really complex. Are there ways that we can automate things so that we can move faster with creating these new types of renewable energy? Um, other areas where we're making a smarter ocean are around aquaculture. So three um, billion people in the world get their protein from the ocean. How do we make sure we're doing this in a sustainable way? How do we make sure that when we're growing fish in a fish pen offshore, we're capturing maybe wild-caught species that we're actually really monitoring them in a good way so that we're not over-sourcing or taking too much mm-hmm. from the ocean? Um, some of the other pieces that are really important for the smarter ocean are things around um Carbon. And so the ocean is a huge ocean sink. 50% of the ocean or the carbon that's created goes back into the ocean and hopefully goes deep, deep in the ocean, stays there for thousands of years. We don't have enough information around some of that. And so now that technology is advanced, that we can collect even more data, store it for longer periods of time, batteries allow us to have sensors go for longer, we're collecting more data. Well, that's making it a little more complicated. So how can we use things like AI and machine learning to help us analyze that and discover things that previously probably aren't 
easy for a person to analyze because the data is just so robust and there's so much of it. So all of these really kind of culminate that it doesn't matter what the problem is. A lot of the AI pieces are transferable. It's just trying to find the right people, the right use case, and then trying to solve those problems. And there's that stat that says that a good portion of the ocean isn't explored. Right. Do you know what number that is off the top of your head? I know I it's don't. always it's... changing and people are just throwing like I random numbers throw out there. Numbers. But it's it's a decent amount of the huge. ocean. Yeah, it's huge because it's to your point exactly, like we haven't either been able to explore, we don't have enough data to properly explore it, and we don't have the resources to explore such a good, strong high portion of the ocean. So there's so many factors involved there that you need that data to help validate those that research being done. Right. Um, so yeah, and I think that's that's really interesting because like it, it very much is like a global action that needs to be taken to resolve this and to help support the ocean and for a uh, smarter ocean economy and stuff. Yeah. I think one of those things too, where you know we tend to look at things very much associated with where we live. So yeah. you look at a smart city, we look at rules and regulations around data transfer. You know, um, even if you were looking at a Tesla right now, they might drive autonomously in California. Um, but that makes sense because California and Arizona, for example, don't have snow, not a lot of rain. You can do that. They don't do things like that here. But it makes sense for you to come up with rules and regulations because you control the streets in Canada, mm -hmm. right? Our governments do. When you move out into the ocean, now you're dealing with international waters. You know, who actually owns something? Who's in control of it? And I think that that's part of the whole global challenge that we have to really focus on, too, that we have a coastline that we're responsible for. But then it also comes down to everybody being a good citizen of the world because mm. our, especially our Atlantic Ocean that we're next to, is warming faster than anywhere else in the world. And so as our water levels increase, as um, storms become more intense, we're all really vulnerable. And just out of pure curiosity, too, and if you don't have the answer, no pressure whatsoever, um, but are there any kind of I shouldn't say organizations, but I would say maybe like countries that aren't necessarily along the coastline that are putting a lot forwards to help support ocean data and ocean exploration that you can think of off the top of your head. That's a really good question. And I'm trying to think a lot of the organization, a lot of the countries that we tend to partner with do tend to have some coastline. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there might be some European countries that have researchers that are interested in in that, but you know, it comes to Scandinavian countries where it, they're reliant upon fishing. Yeah. Um, so then they care a lot. Um, you have some countries, um, maybe more in in South America, that care because um, you know the coastline and erosion is important, as well as um, you know harvesting minerals and other types of things that are really important from an economic standpoint. Um, but for the most part, I think. There's definitely global effort that goes towards UN. Um, the Ocean Frontier Institute based out of Dalhousie was recently part of COP26. And so they went and they were speaking about why this is really important, why Canada is important and really vested in this, but driving back to things like carbon, that globally we need to all be putting effort towards this because mm. we're all doomed if we don't. Yeah, no, absolutely. It impacts everyone regardless mm. or not if you're directly beside the ocean. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So what areas are you seeing the most growth in Nova Scotia? We have other arms and branches through things like Ignite that are outside of Halifax that are great representation of 
the innovation that can come out of smaller communities. Absolutely. Um, and so I think there's been super partnerships that have happened where there's really good sharing um, with the folks at Ignite. Um, and I, our office is based out of the pier at the Port of Halifax and Ignite shares offices there. So we regularly see companies that are based out of Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, for example, that come and spend some time in our space. But I, I think Halifax is, we're interesting in the sense that we're part of Atlanta, Canada, and we definitely play well, but we're not as far away as St. John's. Mm-hmm. And um, we're in a different location than St. John. And unlike PEI, getting to Charlottetown can be tricky. So I think we have this real attraction. It's kind of the same concept that, you know, when those who are trying to do economic development globally for Halifax talk about we're our direct flight sometimes, depending on what's happening. Um, we're really close in terms of our ports are really, uh, you know, a quick and easy jump off point. I think, you know, Halifax is really focused and doubled down on creating a small ecosystem. That tiny port we have just makes us a really good hub. Um, we've been spending a lot of time with the uh, with NRC, National Research Council, around trying to create more of a sandbox in the Halifax Harbor. How do we do mm. more R&D development? Um, recently, IBM and their partner, uh, Promar, had the first autonomous vessel that crossed the Atlantic and came here and landed in Halifax. It wasn't supposed to, but it had some issues, and we were really happy to have it here. But it turned into this real discussion with the Coast Guard, Department of Transportation, um, lots of others in the Navy, because we don't have rules and regulations around autonomous vessels. Um, And so what happens? Like, how do you decide whoever trained this model and the AIs that help run this? You know, Tesla has billions of driving hours. How do we know what's actually gone into making this autonomous vessel come across the ocean? Does it know what a person on a Sea-Doo looks like or in a kayak? And does it just assume it's nothing and keep going? Um, And so it's this whole thing that we have to really focus on as Canada collectively to figure out, well, Halifax is a great place. We have a very tight harbor. We have lots of partners that work really collaboratively together. We have Coast Guard, we have Navy, we have Department of Fisheries and Oceans. Um, And so I think Halifax always offers this unique opportunity where there's these touch points and opportunities for companies, whether they're coming from offshore or like around the world, or they're trying to create a new venture here. There's, it's your one, you know, your two degrees of separation away from somebody that you need to t- talk to. Yeah. And I think that's one of the great things that we offer. Yeah. And I think another thing, too, just to add on top of that is um, a lot of folks have said that uh, because of Halifax is just physical geographic location is that there's so many folks in Atlanta, Canada who export to Europe, for instance, and their time zones are so complementary if you're in like uh, England, where they're going to be the closest. I mean, aside from uh, the folks up in Newfoundland, but sometimes that half an hour can get a little bit tricky. We pretty much are the best place to be. Yeah, a little bias, a <laughs> little bias, but there's lots of perks. But it's uh, it's interesting to hear kind of on the on the ocean aspect because as as Nova Scotia prides itself in being like the ocean playground, we really do take ownership in that, and there's so much that we are putting forward to help promote that. So I think that's really really exciting. It's funny, I had gone to PEI when I was six, and that was the first time I saw the ocean. And then I came to Halifax when I was around 20 for the first real time as an, you know, as a university. And I think I was only in Halifax for a day. It was like this basketball tournament um, and just was watching a basketball game. But that was my first exposure. And I remember that I was seeing the license plates while I was in Quebec during my undergrad of the ocean playground and thinking, what what does that even mean? And now I get it. Now yeah. you know it makes complete sense. And living near the near the coast, I can't imagine living anywhere else. Yeah, you live and play in that playground every day. Absolutely. And just out of curiosity too, as well, where where are you from originally? 
I'm from a small town called Smiths Falls, Ontario. Okay. And why why oceans? Like what kind of inspired you to go into oceans? I didn't necessarily have the goal of oceans. I think, you know, when I took this role four years ago, my goal was data and AI. I gotcha. had skill sets in analyzing data and doing research and analytics and had spent time trying to grow AI knowledge and expertise. And this opportunity came up and now that it's here, that's one of the first things I talk about. Not always the AI is the leading point is ocean is the kind of starting point to attract people. Um, so tell us what's what's kind of coming up next for Deep Sense. Well, there's a couple big things for us at Deep Sense. Um, we're always looking to support new companies. That's a huge component of what we do. Um, we're fortunate that we have partnerships with things like the Ocean Startup Project, which is, you know, through um, Novacore or Invest Nova Scotia and um, the Supercluster. And so we spend a lot of time helping those companies. Um, we have good partnerships with Creative Destruction Labs. They have an ocean stream that comes out of Dalhousie. And so we see companies from around the world. And that's exciting. That launches um, a new cohort launches in October. So we'll spend some quality time with some new companies. And the biggest thing for us is new cohorts of students. It's September. We have new students who are coming in. Um, you know, COVID was hard on university students, regardless of where they were in their life cycle of their education. And having things back in person has been really important for us because there's nothing like students being able to actually do a tour and go to Cove um, or go down to the waterfront and actually experience it. And one of the things I think about computer science students is kind of like me, I love to be home and be quiet and not social. And I think computer science students are like that. And getting them out um, of the classroom or getting them out of their basements or their room is really valuable so they get a chance to see what's happening in our community. Um, one of the last things that's really big for us too is mentors. And we're increasingly finding that students that are moving into the world of AI, there's not massive jobs out there yet in AI. It's still relatively new. Companies are looking for adoption but we're always looking for engagement. And I think that's one of the great things that Digital Nova Scotia brings forward is, you know, trying to create the community where you have somebody, regardless of where they are in terms of their career, how far they've advanced in uh, for, you know, their first three years versus 20 years in, what kind of company they're working for. There's a really great community here. And I think moving forward with creating more mentors and conversations and education and, uh, you know, we have different groups that we have talks for. We have um, a mentorship program that we share um, with Shift Key Labs and with Surge at Dell, which is all about flash mentorships. And I think the big thing for us is now that we're in a bit of a different spot where people can meet or it's a little bit easier to meet, we're really trying to make sure that every student that we connect with gets a chance to meet somebody new and grow their network. That's indispensable, honestly. Yeah. And being able to see yourself in another person actively working in their career, well in their career especially, comfortable and happy makes you feel more motivated to do the exact same yeah. um, and uh, I like your point too about AI how there's not a whole lot of jobs here right now because it's it's so true is that AI is such a foreign concept to so many organizations and even data some days is mm. um, which is kind of interesting it's time for tech tips so tell us a little bit about data prepping and what that is and how, why it is never too early to organize and prepare for future opportunities any time a company wants to use their data, their data needs to be well organized and well documented and well understood. So we spend time with companies who will say things like, oh, but I'm just going to make an AI for that. 
And then when we actually go and try to have a look at their data, it's missing some fundamental pieces. Like maybe they didn't include date um, or things have been stored in so many disparate files that organizing is really complex. Or one person labeled something one way, then left the company and somebody else has labeled it a different way and they're not consistent. So really thinking through how you store your data and annotate it is really, really critical. And one piece I think, you know, I, I live this world every day, so I talk about it and I forget that not it's not knowledge for everyone, but the world of computer vision is one of my favorite things. Taking images or video and being able to analyze them really quickly and efficiently is fantastic. And we have a lot of projects that focus on that. One thing that we find is that companies say things like, oh, I want to go and I want to use my images to figure something out. Maybe I want to... I'm going to go into the fish example. I want to identify a type of fish or I want to count the fish. There's different ways to annotate your data and store your data. And if you want to count the fish, it's a very different thing than you want to find the fish in the image, which is a very different thing than identify the type of fish in the image or, um, you know, understand if there's multiple fish in the image. And all of those, you have to label your data differently. And so we'll often go and meet with a company and they'll say, okay, but I want to just go and create some kind of an AI to find the fish or do something with the fish. And then when you drill down further down, they've only labeled data for one of those things, not all of those things. And it's just the recommendation I often have is the sooner you talk to someone who knows a little about this, the sooner you're going to set yourself up for success. So whether it's a prediction of something, whether it's using data for some other purpose, there's, there's just lots of effort that has to go into it. But thinking about it sooner than later is really important. That's so interesting. As someone who knows nothing about data, in all honesty, <laughs> even just considering these things is so interesting. So with your example, if you had that series of photos and you were looking to identify these different things, you would name that same set of photos different things in order to accomplish the different results. Is that how you go about it? Yeah, or you'd, cool. yeah, sometimes you draw a box around the fish. Sometimes you'd label the image differently. Um, it's all very varied based on what your goal and your outcome is. And so, you know, I'm sure you've had things in your, when you look at your photos and sometimes it'll say beach day mm -hmm. and it will find every instance where there was sand. Right. I've had ones that has said dogs and it will show pictures of dogs, but I also have guinea pigs and it will show pictures of guinea pigs because it doesn't know what a guinea pig is. And that's a common thing where it's gone and just thrown things together that it kind of just gathers. And you can go and just let an AI try to do that. But if you're looking for something specific, like I want to know the rust that is on my vehicles that I use that run around the city every day and deliver things, and I want to know, or are they flat tires? Well, then we need lots of images of flat tires and non-flat tires and labeled as such, and then you can create something. But you have to know what you're looking for for the most part, and or you end up with guinea pigs and dogs. Right? Yeah, you have to like train it first, and then you can actually run it. It's yes. so interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I love that whole idea of like training AI because it's like it's like a kid. You got to like teach them like this is what this is, this isn't what this is, and then like mm -hmm. going through that process. How good does it actually get? Well, like, like, is there always that human element that has to come back in to check it or like to? Yes and no. And so here's an example. Like I've had it where I have uh, two sons and one's 12 and one's 15. And it's like my um, my Google Images has brought up images of the same kid from birth to age 12. And it's almost actually creepy because it just goes oh. to show how well it is at differentiating between two individual, like one person. It knows from all my images that this is one person, which is sometimes disturbing. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, sometimes there's good enough. And so if it's depending on what you're looking for, and I think it comes down to the definition, I'm going to use rust or corrosion. So let's say, you know, you let's say we went and we built a company for offshore um, wind. And so we wanted to inspect um, our wind turbines and we used a drone and we wanted to see, is there any I- image or is there any issue here? So maybe we're looking for corrosion. Well, my definition of corrosion could be different than your definition of corrosion. And so sometimes too, that ends up happening with labeling data. And so maybe you get to the point that your model maybe is good enough for my definition, but maybe not for your definition of corrosion. Right. And is there a level of like accepted error? And I don't know if I should say like the world of data um, for folks like yourself. Like, is it like a margin of like 2% error, 1% error, or is like the goal just zero, like no errors ever? There's always going to be error because it's a machine. But I think it comes down to, oh, one of my favorite topics is bias and data. Mm. Um, I really love AI ethics and bias and data. So if we were to do, let's say we were looking at um, cancer diagnosis and we were looking at cells, maybe that's really important. And maybe 99% of the time it's right. But what if 99% of the time it was right because someone like you was never included in the training set. And mm. so as soon as they go and throw you in, it's not actually accurate. And so it's one of these things of what actually went into this data set to train in the first place. So mm. sometimes things could be 99% accurate and you think it's amazing, but then the question turns to, but what does it not know? And what bias is that interpretation kind of bringing forward? Is it inclu- excluding someone because of its their background, their race, their age? where they live, all of these things. Interesting. Ethics is hugely interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no. Are there any, I know, difficult, another difficult question. Are there any, like, boards or any organizations that are actively working to, like, mandate, like, ethics for data? Or, like, what's kind of the development on that side? Because, like, kind of as we mentioned, like, not a lot of people think about AI and not a lot, there's not a lot of careers out there right now that are solely Mm -hmm. focused on that. So, like, what's kind of the development there? So, there's, um, OECD has some policies and some rules that they're establishing right now that will set some framework for how you actually approve AI and allow it to be implemented. The problem, of course, though, is it's up to each country or Mm -hmm. region. Europe, like, if you look at, I never get it, GDRP, GAPRD, whichever one that is, the acronym. Um, they're really strict. Like I was just um, I, was, I was just in Asia and the pop-ups that you get for cookies are so much more prevalent than they are here, right? Like there's so many more rules that other, other locations in the world have. Um, so it's really gonna be up to different jurisdictions to follow these established rules. In Canada right now, we don't really have anything. And in the States, we're not expected to have anything for a while either. This is where the issue of AI comes into play because a huge number of algorithms, so if you think of a recipe as an algorithm, it's giving you a calculation. You're going to train that based on your data. That makes a model, and that's your model. And so, sure, it was trained off of something originally someone else created, but you've gone and retrained it, and you're using it for your purpose, and that's where it's really valuable for a company. Sometimes those original algorithms and early models are built off of data from other people. So if Facebook was the first one that went and created this model and trained it, the question turns to, is there some kind of inherent bias that I don't know about? And so this is where the world of AI will get really interesting as it relates to public facing things, because if you start suddenly have certain jurisdictions that require some rule, what's going to happen and how do you actually employ that here? And could that actually be important for ocean? So if I'm identifying fish on an offshore um, fish pen and making sure that the salmon is the right size, does 
is there an ethical play here? And so it's going to be really interesting to see where ethics come into play. For sure, the promotion of your next TikTok video is important, especially if it's a young child that's watching. Mm-hmm. But is, a, is it as important when you're trying to predict this is a salmon and this is a trout? Uh, and it'll be an interesting play in the next little bit. Yeah. And there's a lot of, I, I'm just thinking of like the fish in the sea, like in Australia, and there's so many different types and that some of them look kind of similar. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how kind of we, mm. we use data to, to create those discrepancies and mm. then like how actually correct are those discrepancies? Like, you know, like that, that is such an interesting topic and it's probably an episode. We <laughs> totally have own. a separate yeah. ethics podcast. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Not to mention, we were discussing kind of like the endless possibilities that are still there in the ocean. And if you're training your data set, I'm using words I don't understand how to use, but you're teaching me things. (laughs) Um, If you're training your data set to recognize salmon XYZ, and then what would it do with an unknown species that it mistake, like mistook for something that already exists? Like maybe we're missing things that we've already seen that it doesn't pick up for sure you know (laughs) yeah and a lot of times it just skips over things like there's i always go back to like tesla and autopilot Mm. as the example where there's been examples of tesla driving into things so tesla's driven into ambulances parked on the side of the highway a guy died because he was watching netflix in 2019 in his car on autopilot but that's because the tesla models had never anticipated or been exposed to an ambulance parked on the side of a highway and so it's the same kind of concept if you don't know something's there you don't know it's there so you ignore it because you think it's just part of the background and Mm -hmm. exactly that if you're looking for certain types of species of fish and other ones float by you might just think it's just regular water or something that's irrelevant interesting yeah last question yeah (laughs) so story time so what is the coolest thing that you've learned about the ocean big question okay the coolest thing well i'll be honest um there's one of my team members, um, Lucia, has an ocean background and constantly shares these lessons learned about the ocean and random facts about the ocean. And I think the most interesting thing are these random species of things underwater that exist and you don't understand how they were created. And I think that's what's mind blowing. There's these, you know, these, um, you know, there's uh, the types of, I don't know what to call them, but they're like not a fish. They're invertebrates or something that you know that glow underwater and they're like thousands of meters deep and they still glow or these little ones that are like little tubes that sit on coral and they collect things like to me I think the most fascinating thing around the ocean is the constant life cycle it's like I feel like it's the Lion King the circle of life but it's how that whole ecosystem survives and works together and we're created to work together and so every day that I learn something new about the ocean it doesn't necessarily mean it's something that's sitting here in Atlantic Canada and it's just out in the harbor in Halifax it's the fact that there's all of these really weird sometimes funny looking things that exist but and then they exist for a reason because somebody either eats them or they eat something else yeah. and they all just work <laughs> together it's fascinating yeah. and it's it's crazy too so like I'm a little bit of like an aquarium fish fanatic I've owned like saltwater and freshwater mm-hmm. aquariums little fun fact about me mm-hmm. um but uh and the crazy thing is is that a lot of people so when they get tanks they get like 
a smaller tank so like say like a 10 gallon or 20 gallon tank and they think it's going to be super easy to take care of but actually the 50 to 100 gallon tank is so much easier to take care of because there's so much more room for error and so much more room for animals to you know like eat other animals and then for that to like decompose and not completely disrupt the ecosystem and people don't think about that because they're like smaller space means easier to clean or easier to take care of but actually and then you take that much larger scale like the ocean to your point exactly that everything works harmoniously and that you really it gets sometimes things get to a point you don't even have to touch it like with like smaller much smaller 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 size aquariums in your house kind of thing so it's it's interesting that aspect of it super interesting i've never owned an aquarium i'm always impressed when people own really yeah that's a commitment (laughs) of effort i yeah it is the the one downfall is i i had aquariums when i was living in the city and we were constantly moving so the issue was is i had a 32 gallon saltwater aquarium with like clownfish live coral live rocks all that fun stuff it was amazing beautiful but whenever we move and we move every single year because it's halifax and i was in university we'd have to because you you want to keep the the salt water and because if you dump that out then you have to start the ecosystem all over again so we'd have like 10 buckets just of salt water that we then would have to lug to our new apartment then pour in the tank let it reacclimate all that fun stuff it's it's crazy the world of and it's expensive dedication (laughs) it is very expensive yeah but it's 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 sometimes interesting to see that like on a smaller scale like i love looking at like aquariums and stuff georgia aquarium is like hands down one of my favorite places to go because they have so many different uh animals there and stuff and are doing lots of great work so yeah what's your favorite ocean animal bonus question <laughs> i i'm weird i like ghost knife fish they're kind of like eels do you know what they mm-hmm. are cool no but it sounds gross <laughs> yeah they're like um they're the only uh fish that can actually like back up oh. and like go like 360 so they can like completely turn their bodies around and like to basically do loops another fun fact um i'm full of fun facts today <laughs> the i think it's eels is that scientists don't know how eels reproduce. So it's kind <laughs> You're of giving disturbing, me a actually. Um, <laughs> eels are a creepy thing. Do you have a favorite ocean? Yeah. I think I'm like pretty basic, but I, I love a great white. I'm obsessed with dinosaurs. Okay. And so like that, that connection there. Yeah. 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 Have you ever looked into the fact that um, whales, I don't know if it's a certain species, but whales actually used to be land-based. With their and hips? And walked. And had little feet and stuff like oh. that to me is mind blowing. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, some of them still have like basically tiny little hip bones, essentially that proves that they used to have their back legs. Why? Very cool. That's crazy. Yeah. I just stole a mind blown sometimes that like people were like, "Yeah, humans used to be mermaid because we have like the little webbing between our hands." And I was like, "I don't. I think that might be a little bit of a stretch, but I don't know." Oh, wow. <laughs> what about you? What's your favorite? You know, one of the things that I did do uh, years ago is uh, did scuba diving. And um, the moray eel, as gross as they are, was if you look at something that's created for whatever reason, it has this incredible green color. At least some of them do when they're in the Caribbean kind of thing. And they have these ginormous teeth and they're terrifying. But when you look at something like that, it's such a it's so fascinating to watch it swim. It's so elegant and it moves and then it might bite your hand off. But yeah. You just pretend you don't know that. Yeah. yeah. You watch the beauty from afar. Yeah. yeah. You watch, enjoy the touch. moment. Yeah. Yeah. There's I think I think 
like 99% of ocean animals are like that. Watch from afar. Yeah. Don't interact yeah. with them. I think a, like, Let them live their life. a hefty respect for ocean yeah. life in general. Yeah. Well, especially hugely if, important to enjoy. If your favorite it. animal is a great white, yeah. I, <laughs> I you know. will not catch me in the water with that. Yeah. I was in Hawaii in 2019 and it's my bucket list item to like cage dive at some point. I'm also terrified of sharks. Like, unrealistically like i've never been in touch with a shark obviously but i wanted to do it but i didn't but still on my bucket list one day maybe saying i'm afraid of heights but i'm also gonna go free diving yeah i know i'm like you're really uh... i'm also afraid of heights and i jumped off a bridge on purpose once in my life and that that's it that's the bucket list item and done do you do like your bucket list despite your fears like that's how you perfectly crafted your bucket list you're like, like i'm scared of this like Screw that. I keep saying I have a bucket list. I don't really. I'm just using these. But yeah, sometimes if I'm like faced with something that I know I'm afraid of, I like to try to be like, nope, I'm going to do that. But not just like a stupid thing. Like if it's something that I'm like, I have interest in this. I want to overcome myself. Sometimes they're tiny. I was scared of piercings and I got my nose pierced. Little baby things. (laughs) Yeah. Little stabs. Have you ever gone uh, cage diving? No, I've watched Jaws. Yeah. Like (laughs) me too. (laughs) You're like, I'm not stupid. (laughs) That's terrifying. Yeah. Even just, have you ever watched, have you used the 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 Great White Tracker? Yes. The online oh, search? Oh, I like, love that. Yeah. I love how they name them. Yeah. And their name's like Jennifer. Yeah. Jennifer, the 600, 800 uh-huh. pound Great White Shark. Yeah. And just, I love how close they yeah. often yeah. get just to our shores. Chilling in Lawrencetown, you <laughs> yeah. know? No, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Wild. Well, I think uh, as years to come, we'll definitely see more Jennifers yep. in, the, yes. uh, yep. <laughs> in the ocean. Without a doubt, which I think, you know, when we talk about that whole ecosystem, like when you talk about your tank and how it's so, you know, it, it, a large tank can survive in and of itself. We have a lot going on. That means it's not going to survive in and of itself. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there's a lot of people making a lot of big impacts in huge ways to the ocean life that is not reacting positively to it and it's not natural for it it doesn't give it enough room of error i'll I'll say yeah i'm surprised there's not more funding and research honestly in ocean tech because it has huge potential and huge implications i'm surprised there's not more people even countries that are not directly impacted by having a coastline that are not more into that i'm surprised actually well i do think you know yeah back to our ocean tech conversation i do think that there is there is significant opportunity and significant investment that's happening globally. So there are lots of companies who are really driving that home. I mean, there's a whole group right now um, from Cove that are all in Germany this week, um, all around ocean tech. So it's part of it too is governments change, their attention changes. We've had some years in the past where our federal government hasn't cared as much about science and research. So I think it's just kind of having that evolution, but then technology changes. So now all of a sudden we're having such great potential to do even more, which keeps throwing some money and smart Mm -hmm. brains at it and we'll learn. Yeah, exactly. And do you find that sometimes the conversation about like the impact of like climate change on the oceans often kind of gets pushed down compared to just like general greenhouse gases and stuff like all of it just kind of gets put in this one big box like let's talk about climate change but there's actually like so i'm counting on my fingers here but there's like so many factors involved in that Mm -hmm. that like ocean sometimes i i I find just kind of gets like cast to the side yeah and ocean isn't necessarily a contributor like i think i'm a i'm a really big cyclist and a walker and i think it's the same thing that drives me crazy where you know, the latest um, budget that we had federally that came out focused on um, electric vehicles where, you know what, if we actually had more people cycling and taking public transit, we'd be seeing a lot greater mm-hmm. improvement in, on um, any of our emissions. So I think sometimes it's taking the 
the more sexy topic and trying to go with it. Um, from an ocean standpoint, there is a huge effort that's going towards electrification of vessels, but it's still a long way to go. You know, if somebody has pleasure, there's like 30 million pleasure craft in the world. So if somebody has a boat, I think there's 15,000 in Nova Scotia or something like that. If you have a boat, are you going to go and replace your boat because all of a sudden you want to electrify it or because you're told to? Like, I think we have a long life cycle that it's going to take for us to, to get to that point. But there, you know, I think the ocean really is, can we capture more carbon? Mm -hmm. Um, Can we use it more sustainably for um, food production? And can we move goods faster? One of the other numbers that we didn't chat about, which is, you know, the 80 to 90% of everything that you essentially touch has traveled across the ocean because it was manufactured somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Well, how do we continue to make that more effective and efficient? How do we um, move things so there's less impact to the environment? you know, one of the reasons they think that most whales um, become beached is because there was loud noises underwater. They got scared and they quickly went to the surface and they got the bends and they died. And so mm. it's all around noise pollution and how much mm. is that noise pollution impacting underwater. And all of these things are just pieces that we have to start putting while well, we're still putting the puzzles together and trying to figure out how we can make some better change to make our ocean a little happier yeah and in the grand scheme of things when we look at the world there's more ocean than there is land so we need to start kind of refocusing just because we're not living (laughs) obviously in the water doesn't mean we shouldn't care about it so yeah i think that's a great note to end on kind of sad but i think it's still an important uh kind of takeaway message but uh we appreciate you immensely coming out today and uh talking to us and sharing all the uh amazing things happening over at deep sense and all of the great insights you have on our uh, growing ocean sector thanks and the ocean is important so it's not a sad note it's that True. we have an amazing asset that's sitting here that we need to support and enable and protect and we have great minds that are working towards doing all of that yeah. so thank you for having me it was great to chat with you thanks for tuning in to all hands on tech Interested in learning more? Visit us on our website at www.digitalnovascotia.com. We'll see you next time. This has been a Podstarter production. production.